0: having a clear social mission to help this entrepreneur overcome the fear of failure to make something great happen in the world. From Blue Tribe Media, this is the Good Business Podcast, the show where we talk to business leaders, social entrepreneurs, and innovators about aligning profit with purpose and how you can make doing good, good for business. Now, here's your host, James McGregor. In today's episode, I'm talking with Seema Harvey, who's the founder of Cooks who Feed, who transformed her love for cooking into a business that benefits artisans in India and connects with non-profits. Now, this episode's a really great example of the power one, as Seema is probably like many of you out there listening. See, Seema read an article on food waste one day and felt the need to do something, but wasn't really sure where to start. Then one day, while she was out on a run, she came up with an idea. That idea was Cooks who Feed, where she decided to create a side hustle whilst working full time and raising three young kids. Cooks Who Feed sells aprons, and for each apron sold, they provide 100 hungry people with a nutritious meal while also empowering female artisans in India to help others. In this episode, I talk with Seema about the event that triggered her drive to make a difference, the fear she had to face to make it happen, and how the power of one person can create a ripple that spreads around the world. Let's check it out. So today's guest is Seema Harvey. So she's the co- the founder of Cooks Who Feed, a social enterprise that produces handcrafted aprons to feed those in need to prevent food from going to waste. So welcome to the show, Seema.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Tell us a little bit about your background. So how did you, and what led you to the creation of uh, Cooks Who Feed, and where does this passion for social enterprise come from?
1: Uh, I think it's, I've always had this passion, um, to be honest, since I was a kid. So since I was very young, around six years old, I learned to cook. Um, I've always loved to cook and cook for others. Um, and it's always, uh, it's always bothered me. That, yeah, you know, in today's world, it's um, sort of a feast or famine uh, situation and always felt can, compelled to help others who didn't get to experience food the way that the way that I did. Um, so, yeah, I think I've always had that passion for food. And because of that, that's always um, made me want to help others who, who don't enjoy it, who, who don't get the chance to enjoy it.
0: Yeah. And what, and what about the social impact angle? So, you know, your cooks who feeds looking at, you know, addressing not just food waste, but also dealing with um, abject poverty and hunger. Um, where, do, where does interest for that come from? Was there a particular moment in your life that generated that interest?
1: Yeah, actually, there is. So, uh, a friend of mine actually started an NGO in India that hired marginalized women um and taught them how to be seamstresses and you know trying to give them employable uh skills and a few years back I was in India for a wedding and uh told her I wanted to come and see what she was doing and you know what kind of work they were doing um and it was actually that that was kind of the the moment for me when I met these women and saw them working and uh wanted to help and at that time didn't know how I was going to help but I wanted Knew I, I, you know, I, I had the opportunity to say, okay, maybe we can work together somehow, so I can provide more opportunities for women in similar situations, um, and that's kind of that's where the the moment started for me. Like I didn't want to come back to Canada and and forget what I had seen, um, so it's always in the back of my mind, you know, what can I do to 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 help? What whether it's you know, what kind of product could I could I create and they? I would use them as my production team exclusively um, and help grow that that um, that base. Um, that's kind of where where it happened. So it was kind of organically. Like I had that moment with the ladies, and then from there, with my passion for food and and, and cooking, and kind of it kind of led to the idea of Cooks Who Feed.
0: Oh, so, so tell us, tell us about how how that idea even came about. I believe you're out on a run when uh, inspiration struck.
1: <laughs> yeah, so just it was all, like I said, always in the back of my head, like how how can I help these ladies? And, you know, you see so many things in your life that, you you know, there's a lot of situations where you see people less fortunate and you say, you know, you think, oh, you know, I should do something, but then you forget, right? Life happens and it moves on. And I really didn't want that to happen with this. You know, with, I met the ladies. I looked at it, looked at it very much was, you know, I was meant to meet them. Um, I just have to figure out how I'm going to help them. And that's when, when I was out for my run kind of thought, well, what if we created. Uh, an apron because that has to do with food. So that's my passion. So, you know, something that we can market to foodies. Um, the ladies could make the apron. And then, even to take a step further, let's start a business where the women are actually giving back to others. You know, they're so used to accepting charity um, and being the ben- beneficiaries of charity. Let's turn it around and actually make them proud that they're actually helping less fortunate as well. So I said, let's t- work with charities who are on the ground helping um, to collect food waste, save food waste to feed the hungry. So that's where the idea, um, you know, for the one apron equals 100 meals came from.
0: Great. So I think that's a really important point about um, empowering, uh, particularly looking at social impact and not doing handouts, um, giving people agency over over their own lives um, and the ability to to shape their own lives. I think that's a really important consideration. So – so you're out on a run. You've come up with this idea for an apron. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what was what what happened next? What was what? How did you turn that into um, cooks who feed?
1: Yeah. So actually, the first thing I did was get on the phone with my friend and said, you know, uh, what are some challenges that you're currently facing? And she, you know, was letting me know, hey, one of the big things is that you know we work. They were currently working with various different designers, where she was like, you know, this is not consistent work. They don't use ex- use our team exclusively, so it's hard to grow the team. And also, they're looking for very specific patterns and fabrics, and sometimes it's difficult to find. Uh, in India, the thing is, sometimes you might see something in a shop, and you, you know, go there the next day, and it's gone, and they don't know when it's coming back. It's you don't know. So she's like, you know, it's always this problem as well. So I said to her, "Well, I have this idea for an apron to create aprons. We don't have to stick with any particular." You know, fabric fabric that has, uh, you know, a pattern, so that lets that solves that problem. And in India, things like cotton and linen, canvas, they're all readily available fabrics. So those are those are great fabrics to use for making an apron. So that fit the bill. And then I said, you know what? Let's use the team exclusively. I will start the business, and you will be my production side of the business. So that will solve that problem of you know I'm using that no you know I wouldn't be using you exclusively. So that. What whatever aprons we we orders we get, you would make them. Um, so yeah, so so um, that's that's kind of how that happened. And the next step was okay, let's find a designer. Um, you know, I worked. I wanted to try to hire as many women uh, mar- from marginalized communities as possible. So got in touch with a designer in India who was from one of these communities and allowed her to be creative and come up with the, our first few designs. And like, just from being there, met vendors who are doing like one of the aprons that we launched with is, is made from recycled plastic bottles. Um, so met a vendor who was producing this fabric. So that kind of led me down to, hey, let's only use natural fibers or recycled fabrics. Let's not, you know, use polyester and these other man-made uh, materials that cause more harm. So let's try to create, uh, you know, let's try to fight hunger the most sustainable way possible. So it just kind of grew from there, and uh, yeah. And then when we launched, uh, we launched on Kickstarter, and we launched with uh, two designs to start with.
0: Right, and so, so tell me about the that Kickstarter campaign how did how did that go?
1: It was tough. Uh, we we did meet our goal successfully. It was a thirty day campaign, but we met our goal on the twenty eighth day. Um, but it was it was tough, you know, like I uh, so I was I was working full time. I had another job. I have three little kids. so it was stuff it was something I was doing in the evenings and weekends, and it was nonstop. and I'm not naturally a salesperson, so I found it really difficult to always put myself out there and put the product out there and, and keep pushing. Um, you know, but I knocked on doors, went to businesses, went wherever I could to tell our story and drive traffic to to the campaign. Um, and it was it was it was what was interesting to see was that people I had never met in my life except for that one time when I'm telling them our story, they would then go on, on their social or, you know, post our story and they were sharing. So it's always, it's almost like I was creating these little like the ambassadors really for the brand, um, by telling the story. So that was really, really interesting to see. And when we closed, when we ended our Kickstarter, the interesting part was, um, you know, obviously my friends and family helped contribute to that success, but I would say the majority uh, of the backers are people I had never met, um, and actually from different parts of the world. So that was really interesting to see.
0: And so, so what was your goal on Kickstarter? What were, what were you trying to achieve in that first campaign?
1: Yeah, so in the thirty-day campaign, we wanted to um, reach fourteen thousand Canadian.
0: And how'd you feel when you hit the goal? Uh,
1: relieved, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very relieved. I think there's a, a there's a fear, right? Like when you start something that you, especially when you put so much time and energy into something, there's a fear of you know, it's not going to work or what if it fails, then what? And there's, there's, you know, you don't want to have to go back to all your friends and family and say, well, I couldn't do it. You know, that was, that was a fear for me. I had never prior to that had my own business. So I was not aware of this fear. Um, <laughs> so it was, uh, it was very, to be honest, very emotional when we finally hit that goal. Um, you know, that, okay, now I don't need to go back and tell everyone that I couldn't do it. <laughs> Um, and, and also I, I couldn't, I couldn't think of a way that I could go back to India and explain to these ladies why we weren't moving forward. Uh, because I, at, up to that point I was bootstrapping it. So I really needed the funds to, to be able to invest in inventory.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting the, um, that, how powerful that mission is. So that, you know, the, why, why you were starting this business was to, you know, to help and empower these women. Um, and yeah, having that clear in your head is a really powerful motivator. It's interesting you say how fear, um, a you know, fear of failure because I think that's something that uh, a lot of people who think about starting a social enterprise face. Uh, and my fa- my father used to be, was a soldier for most of his life and he used to uh, as, a, as a kid he used to always say to me, um, you know fear has a job to do. Its job is to tell courage when courage needs to turn up and um, so I think that's uh, when when you feel afraid about doing something or, or fearful of an outcome, um, it's just actually there telling you that you need to do something about it. it's giving you a kick in the butt to uh, to get going so. That's a great story. So you got your Kickstarter campaign through, you you, you achieved your goal. Um, what next?
1: Yeah, so we, we uh, used that inventory to obviously fulfill the Kickstarter um, orders, but then it also allowed us to f- get some extra inventory, right? So we could actually start getting some traffic and some sales through our site. Um, another thing that we did was we started – so the the company is based in Toronto, and I'm not sure if you're aware, but Toronto is quite has a great you know food scene, um, and it's it's growing uh, every year. So one of the things that I wanted to do was reach out to some celebrity chefs um, in the area and partner with them, uh, you know, to d- basically design their apron. Right? They would they would t- create this apron with us that represented their personality, and we would name it after them. Um, And we were looking, obviously, for chefs that followed our values, that shared the same values. And we're also very passionate about hunger and food waste. And, uh, yeah, so that that was the next step was, okay, now we have this inventory. Let's reach out to chefs to see who who can we get, at least start with getting a couple of these chefs and build up our our collection because it's it's hard to run a business when, you know, an apron business when we only had two aprons. (laughs) So uh, we reached out to some chefs and then we also had our designer in India design a few extra different looking aprons as well using different fabrics. Um, Yeah. And actually just two weeks ago, just updated the site. We now have seven aprons. Uh, and two of which are chef inspired, so named after two chefs, and they helped us design them. So tr- trying to leverage, um, you know, the following that these chefs have, right? Because I, I, I'm sure you're well aware chefs these days are, are celebrities, right? It's, it's a cool thing to do now to cook, right? So trying instead of just trying to build up our own brand image, uh, organically, we thought, you know, let's partner with chefs who already have such a great following and that's our market too, right? People who love to cook. Um, so that's, that was one of the things we wanted to do. And the other thing too, was to grow our B2B business, you know, B2B side of the business. So uh, initially I thought we would just sell our aprons through our site. Um, but then when we ran the Kickstarter, we, we're getting interest from businesses. So like, for example, I got a lot of realtors reach out to me because when they gift, um, give someone a gift, when they buy them a home, they, they thought, you know, this could be a really good housewarming gift for them, um, especially if they've shown interest in cooking. So now we've started partnering with some like local culinary schools and working with some real estate agencies. So we're trying to build that network up as well. Um, and we'll we'll customize for them. So put their logo on it, use their colors, um, and and you know, and a, a lot of businesses obviously obviously want to be tied to something sustainable.
0: Where, and where does where does the food waste piece come into Cooks shoe Feed?
1: Yeah, so we currently have three charity partners that we work with. One in Canada, one in U.S., and one also in India. We want to grow this as we, as we grow and, and have, have impact in, in, other, in other countries. Um, but we started with these three, and these three charities rescue food waste to feed the hungry. So it's not about creating more food. We don't need more food, right? I think everyone is well aware now of the food waste issue that we have in the world today. You know, and, and I know in Canada, they say over a third of the food we produce gets thrown out. And this is food that never hits the table, right? This is food that's thrown out at the farmer level or at the grocery store level. Um, you know, and, and, and we spend, the irony of it all is we spend so much money to produce this food, right? Just for it to end up in a landfill. So, you know, they say on average, worldwide, It's about a quarter to a third of the food we produce is thrown out, but we still have over 800 million people who are hungry. So it's it's literally two problems that can fix themselves, right? Um, There's so many, obviously, so many issues in the world today, but most solutions require people to change their habits and change their behaviors, which is a difficult thing to do, right? To require a large amount of people to change the way they do, you know, they go about their daily life is a very difficult thing. So with these two problems, there's organizations that are on the ground that are, you know, rescuing the food waste and distributing it to people who need it. Uh, but they're charities, so they rely heavily on volunteers. They rely he- heavily on donations. So I wanted to help them with their work. Right? I want to help solve this. I believe they call it the hunger and food waste paradox to kind of bridge the gap between the food waste and the hunger.
0: So you know, I know I know the the business is still quite young. Um, but what's what do you think is the biggest challenge? you've faced so far?
1: Oh, I would have to say actually that the biggest challenge has really for me been time management, like personally managing, uh, manage, you know, when you're, when you're, it's, it's just me. I have, I've had a couple interns as well, help me, but because it's mostly just me, you know, uh, wearing multiple hats, learning as fast as I can, things I don't know, I, you know, I never knew anything about. Um, so learning quite fast and just trying to manage everything and, and still move forward, right? Trying t- to see progress uh, while at the same time still, still, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I have three small children. So trying to manage those responsibilities as well. I find that for me is the hardest, you know, keeping my sanity when I need to keep, you uh, children happy, as well as keep the lights on for a business. Um, that, for me, is probably my biggest challenge. I, when, I, when the Kickstarter was successful, I left my full-time job to, to, to focus on this. So up until that point, I was trying to kind of juggle all three things. And, and, and yeah, so my relationship, obviously, with my husband was non-existent at that point as well. <laughs> so uh, just trying to ma- manage you know my personal responsibilities with, with work, I find very challenging.
0: Yeah, we should give yourself a big pat on the back. So, yeah, being a mum is a full time job, job almost. So, working, know, um, yeah, trying to look after three kids and start a social enterprise—that's um, a big, big challenge. So, Thanks. well done.
1: And I think, like, the other challenge I think is is doing business in India. I don't know. I think dealing when you have to do business in a different country. Uh, there's challenges, right? If if you're if you're if you don't understand, and my background's actually Indian, but I've never I, I didn't grow up in India. I grew up in Canada, so there's some cultural differences that make it a bit challenging. Um, I for for myself working in India, um, just just different uh, just different way of doing business. I find that uh, one challenge I always face is, you know, Indians are on their own time. It's a very slow pace of life. Um, they're never in a hurry. So. <laughs> Uh, I find whenever I go there and I think, okay, I've got all these lists of things to do. And I, I, you know, I, when I go, I usually try to be there for three to four weeks. And I think, okay, I'm going to get everything done. Um, It's a different story when you get there. Things just take a very long time. Um, Just no one's in a hurry. No one's in a hurry. So I'm the only one.
0: Yeah, I spent I spent uh, seven years uh, developing renewable technologies in India, so I, uh, I understand where <laughs> you're coming from because I think a, lo- a lot of people go to do biz- business in India. You know the, you know the majority majority of people speak you know, really good English and they dress the same and they you know, particularly in, in Australia and India a lot of interest in cricket, so very similar interest in sport. Um, and yeah, you know, yeah, the universities are amazing over there, so they're really well educated. Um, but the business culture is completely different, so you sort of get lulled into this false sense of security that's exactly like doing business in Canada or in Australia. Um, whereas you know the, the the business over there operates more, I think, on emotion and trust. Um, so it's do they do they like you and then do they want to do business with you? Whereas I think um, most Western business approach is very transactional. You know, if I do this, you'll do that. Um, whereas in India, that's not necessarily How? Businesses yeah, done so i agree uh, but but still ama- amazing country um with you know massive yep, potential i agree um so yeah it's it's uh and it's it's certainly worth going over there and experiencing the place and the, f- the food's awesome <laughs> you've so you've left your full your full-time job you've now you're now doing this full-time was there like a you know tell us about that moment when you end okay i can make a business out of this
1: uh To be honest, that's kind of why that was the intent when I started the Kickstarter was it was getting to a point where I knew I had to make a decision. And I thought, let me do a Kickstarter to kind of a validate that, you know, it's, it's not just a great idea in my head, that other people also think it's a good business idea and would actually purchase the product. Um, and also i didn't want to invest too much uh, more any more time and energy and also financial resources into this without confirming that okay i you know that it actually could be a real business um, so that's why that that was the idea when i started the kickstarter and to be to be honest it kind of happened um, in a funny way so the, on the 28th day of the 30 of the 30 day campaign we met our goal and on the 29th day i went into work um, and I worked for a publishing company, a big publishing company here. And um, when I went in, uh, my boss sat me down and she said, you know what, we're restructuring. Um, we would like to package you out. <laughs> so uh, it was in a weird way. I thought, oh, my, did I wish this on myself without, you know, like, did I accidentally wish this upon, you know, upon myself? And it just happened. Um, so it was a really mixed emotion. Like, I was sad. Uh, I've never been in a situation where I had been let go. So oh, I was actually taken aback and a bit sad of the situation, a bit sad of the situation. But at the same time, there was a sense of relief. And because I was thinking if, if that didn't happen that day, probably the next day I would have walked in and given my notice um, and wouldn't have had a package. So <laughs> I just thought, okay, in a weird way, they just uh, invested in me uh, without knowing it.
0: It was, it was, it was meant to be. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> I'm going to go with that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so what does what does um cooks feed look like today so yeah you, know, you di- you've done this all on your own up until recently um what does what the business look like today how many uh, how many employees um yeah you know, what what sort of what's the future look yeah, like So life?
1: it's still I'm the I'm still the only full time employee. Um, I have hired a few st- interns to, ha- to help me. Um, I've recently got into an incubator through one of the local universities. Um, and that's been a wonderful experience, just being around various advisors who've been helping me helping me grow my business. Um, and I also receive funding from the Canadian government. Um, to help grow my business. So I've been using that to obviously like actually have inventory on hand to attend different shows. Um, there's a lot of like food and lifestyle shows that happen in the area and also in the northern parts of the U.S. So I've been, tra- been trying to attend different shows just to, to build more awareness and get out there and, you know, tell our story. Um, and also still working away at partnering with as many chefs that make sense that share our, our values. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, we're still relatively small from a employee standpoint. Um, but definitely definitely growing like we see see a lot of a lot of potential in different ways that we can grow um grow whether it's from the you know growing from a b2c standpoint or also from the business side selling to businesses as well
0: hmm. so and so the business only officially launched this year beginning of this year is that right
1: yeah so we officially launched in march on uh, on kickstarter that was that was uh, march 8th was our official uh, launch date
0: awesome so, so still very young so you've got an exciting journey young. Journey ahead still of you. Still
1: very young, yeah. Still, still struggling a bit to keep the lights on, but still, <laughs> still very young.
0: Well, it sounds like the trajectory is going in the right direction, anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, still very optimistic, and I feel good about it. And we have been growing, so yeah.
0: So having gone, I mean, got to this stage. If there was someone else out there listening now who had been out on a run um, and come up with a brilliant idea for a social enterprise, what advice would you give them?
1: I would tell them to do it. Like, if you're passionate about something. Do it. There's because I feel uh, at least if I look on um, look at my own experience, uh, like I said, I've always been passionate, but I've always wanted to do something where I was helping um, helping others. I think if you if that is, I, I've always believed that people are here for a reason. You have your own path. So if if you feel like that's what you're meant to do, then do it. Because otherwise, it's always going to be in the back of your head, and I don't think you'll ever be happy with anything else. And what's the worst that can happen? At least that's what I keep telling myself is what is the worst that could happen is you'd have to go look for a job like everyone else.
0: <laughs> and and don't let those fears limit limit your potential. No,
1: and I mean there's there's I think that whole security when you work for other people that you feel like you have some sort of security, that's false. Um, you know, I did I did get restructured. I got you know, so it's it's a false uh security. Um I think it's just because it's the norm, you feel a bit safer with what you know.
0: So what would you like people to do after they listen to this podcast?
1: Go to our site and check us out. Learn more about what we're doing and see the impact we're having. Um so it's dot Um and there we've got we've got some videos on, on on you know an introduction video on what we're doing and our purpose and how we're growing. Yeah, just check us out and if you if you love to cook, get an apron.
0: And if someone wanted, if people wanted to get in touch with you or through Cooks Who Feed, are there other social channels that they should reach out?
1: Yeah, so we're on Instagram and Facebook and we're also on Pinterest. Um, our handle is at Cooks Who Feed. Um, and they could also feel free to to, to just reach me at seema at cooksoofeed.com.
0: Awesome. All right. So, let's let's wrap up with the uh, the Mad Minute. So, five questions in 60 seconds. So, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
1: It would be to surprise and delight your customers. And the person that gave that to me was a gentleman by the name of Gibson Bindle. He's he's a former VP of product at Netflix. So, I had a session with him and he, one of the things he said was that uh, he believed Netflix made it to, to where it is today because they always strive to surprise and delight their customers.
0: Um, what's your favorite business book?
1: Contagious by Jonah Berger. Um, it's all about what makes things popular, what makes things sticky, why why people talk about certain products and ideas over others. It's a great
0: book. Your favorite business tool or resource to help you deliver impact through your business?
1: For me, it's all about events uh, where I can actually talk to people. And you know, express my passion for what I'm doing, and even show them products, and they can so they can see the quality. I'm I'm all for networking, any type of networking event.
0: Uh, and what's your favorite quote?
1: The two most important days of your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. By Mark Twain. <laughs>
0: I love it. And mm-hmm. uh, if, if you go back in time, and give your 20 year old self some advice. What would it be?
1: Don't be average. Don't follow the beaten path. Uh, do what makes you f- do what you feel you're supposed to be doing
0: awesome all right so cms sang harvey thanks for your time uh, love what you guys are doing if people uh, will provide links to all the you know your website in the show notes so if people didn't get a chance to write it down um we'll provide some links to that but uh love what you're doing love the mission and uh thanks for joining us today
1: thanks so much james
0: What a great example of the impact that one person can have so many of you listening out there have great ideas but actually have to make those ideas happen you need to act on them and one of the biggest barriers and challenges i see people facing is that they they feel uncomfortable with the idea of selling their idea or getting people to buy into their idea just like Seema was but there is a way to sell your idea without being salesy and to show you we've put together a free ebook on selling sustainability which is available through the show notes which you can access at www.bluetribe.co forward slash podcast And check out episode number seven. If you want to exercise your power one right now, you can start by sharing this episode with a friend to create your own ripple that might help another change maker like you make something great happen in the world. Coming up in the next episode. We were really excited because we thought that, yes, you would get it and you would absolutely love our idea. And that was our first impression. When we actually told you our idea, things changed a little bit from there. In the next episode, our three young engineers with a dream to change the world were given a harsh wake-up call on what it really takes to take your idea and make it into something real. If you have ever struggled to get people to buy into your idea to save the world, then you really need to listen to this episode. Well, that's it for another episode of the Good Business Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm James McGregor. Until next time.